0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Louisiana Ladies. My name is Melissa Torito and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I am joined each episode by two fabulous ladies. First, we have Lainey Edelman, our outstanding self-taught podcast producer. And I'm also joined by Kate Cook, our very enthusiastic unpaid co-host. All right, everyone. We have another episode of Louisiana Ladies, and I am actually hosting this one solo today. My co-host is uh, not here, but so we certainly miss her. Um, and we have a Louisiana lad, but he's not really a Louisiana lad. He's just he's a Southern lad. <laughs> JJ, you've never uh, lived in Louisiana, have you? Uh,
1: no, but. Uh, that's that's where my mom's family ended up in in Bossier City when they came from South America. So,
0: okay, so you have relatives. Okay, so that we'll yeah. we'll let that one. Mess. I still have
1: relatives in Louisiana.
0: So. <laughs> so we do have JJ McKinney, and JJ is a fellow third party administrator who is based out of Georgia. And before we talk to JJ, um, we are recording this on Zoom. Just letting everybody know that. Um, JJ and I, or I had the pleasure of meeting JJ eight to 10 years ago at the national conference that all of the TPA and actuarial nerds end up going to in October every year. And we've just, you know, kept in touch and see each other every year. So JJ, thanks for being here.
1: Glad to be here.
0: We'll start with an easy question.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: Where are you from?
1: That's a good question. So I... I grew up mostly in Austin, Texas, and so I'd say I'm I'm from Austin, Texas. I was born in Oklahoma, lived in Madrid, Spain for a few years, and uh, for the last uh, little over 20 years, I have lived in Augusta, Georgia.
0: Okay, okay, and you, you are, you, you work or you're part of a third-party administration practice, but you focus on sales, correct?
1: Yes, that's correct.
0: Okay, so let's tell our audience a little bit as to how you got into this particular industry.
1: Well, I came out of college, and my first job out of college was middle school Spanish teaching, uh, which I I really thought I, I wanted to be a teacher, and until I got into an actual classroom and and realized, uh, yeah, no, I, I like teaching, but didn't didn't so much like all the administrative hassle of of teaching, which it is odd that I ended up in third party administration. Um, but it was Spanish was the link um, because I could speak Spanish. Uh, I ended up getting a job at a company called the 401k company. Uh, Back in 1998. And my teaching background uh, actually segued me into learning a lot about the industry because our company decided to start an internal training department. And uh, so one of my first jobs in that training department was teaching uh, a group of people uh, the material for, I think at the time it was just called the DC exam mm-hmm. And so I was studying myself the material about two weeks ahead of the class so that then I could come back each week and teach a class you're related to taking this exam. So it was like this, you know, information by fire. and eventually I went from book learning, which was almost completely book learning, to, uh, practical application in our compliance department. So um, it was a it was a larger company. It was a fully what we'd call fully bundled in the business, and so we had a department that focused purely on compliance testing and the non financial schedules of the Form fifty five hundred. All of our clients were very large, so you know we had uh, plans with you know all these different schedules. Mm-hmm uh, that we had to file with the form 5,500. And, uh, yeah, sorry, Louisiana ladies. This is really probably a lot of stuff you don't even want They've to heard understand. Me talk about it okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, that's kind of how I got into the industry. I was, uh, immediately captivated by these weird laws and how they came to be and, you know, why plans were run this way. Uh, and when I came into the industry, I I had no idea what a 401k was. I mean, I knew I had a retirement plan when I was a teacher, uh, didn't even know what kind it was. All I knew is they had this required 4% of pay uh, employee contribution that went in uh, no matter what. And, and that's about all I knew. So going to a place called the 401k company was, you know, might as well have been, you know, written in Sanskrit or something, because yeah, I did same. not know what a 401k was. Uh, but it, uh, to kind of go back a little bit, the reason why they hired me was because I could speak Spanish and they had a a bilingual line and they had a client with a very large group in Puerto Rico. And they had also recently acquired a um, a Texas-based company that had a lot of Spanish-speaking Participants, so uh, I I did take calls in English and Spanish, but that was kind of my segue into the industry because I could speak Spanish.
0: Now, don't you feel like once people actually, I feel like most people fall into this industry. I don't know if anybody graduates from college and says, "I am going to be a TPA," because you don't really teach it in college. But don't you feel like once people get into this industry, they never leave it?
1: I do. Now, I, I think. For the most part, we do get our hooks into people. Um, I have had a few that that came over, and uh, honestly, the the stress of the compliance season was was more than they could handle. You know, for a couple of years, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think if you get into it and you start looking at the way these things are built, and, and you know, really like pick up the hood and look at the engine of a retirement plan. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all of you who are in college, you know, I, I don't care what you're majoring in. Um, if you even have a mind for math, this will probably work out for you. But I, I was a double major, English and Spanish. Uh, so I took a, like all my electives. Honestly, were like poetry classes, and I, I gravitated towards reading about this stuff. I mean, it just and and you know just like any industry if if you're engaged with it you know you can you can write there's a lot of opportunities to write articles you can speak you know as you start to learn this stuff um you can speak at conferences you can give webinars you can even if it's just in house at the company where you're employed uh you know become an expert in something and you know fly with it
0: yeah, the opportunities are really endless. And that's what I tell people when they come in. Like, yes, you have to learn the technical aspect of it. I mean, I when I, if I back up 13 plus years when I started at the firm, like I could barely even work an Excel spreadsheet because I was a math teacher and we I taught everything on a graphing calculator, basically. Um, and I would not have even envisioned being where I am today. You know, not everybody wants to do that, but it 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 is the opportunities are are really endless. And it's just, I think people are kind of amazed that aren't really aware of the industry or even when they get into it, And they see like, I mean, I'll take me as an example, like, oh, she goes to meetings and she talks to people and she's speaking at this conference. By the way, did I tell you, I'm just going to say this on air, that I did a webinar for ASPA. Did I tell you this? No, no. It was a hundred minute webinar on EPGERS And for our audience, that's basically the procedure manual, for lack of better words, that tells you how to fix all the things that your client messed up. A hundred minute webinar on EPGERS by myself.
1: Man. That well, I mean that that can be fun. But well, to yeah, me, yeah,
0: but I uh you know I wasn't in it was hard for me to engage with the audience, and I was yeah. like, okay, um, I'm gonna ask somebody to do that with me. I have to do that again. It was hard for me to do it by myself.
1: Well, you know? but you're a podcaster, so you've you've at least got that voice, and you know, you can interact through the way you fluctuate your voice. The, the hard thing, I mean, webinars are tough because you get no feedback. None. I mean, even if, if you're getting questions coming through the chat, you can't really pay attention to them. You got to hold those till, till later or, or pause somewhere in there, but man, it, there's nothing like talking to yourself <clears throat> for a hundred minutes.
0: minutes. I'm going to yeah. I made it to 90. And then I was like, and then I, there were some questions. Okay. So that's yeah. our, that's what, that's our day job, <laughs> but I will tell you. So, uh, JJ, What would you say is the most interesting thing about you?
1: That's a a weird question. I don't don't know.
0: JJ, I know know what's the most interesting (laughs) thing about you because (laughs) your children. How many kids do you have? Look, it's like he doesn't even think about it. I'm like, I would be frantic. JJ looks very calm. How many kids do you have?
1: I have nine children. Um, they range in age from almost 23, one would be 23 next month, down to uh five. Um, and he turned five in August. Uh one's adopted. Uh we have two children with Down syndrome. One's our biological, the other is is adopted. Uh so <clears throat> I mean, every, every day is honestly an adventure because there's, you know, just you never know what's going to happen i mean i've got three teenage boys um and you know, they will eat us out of house and home before we you know can blink and uh what's fun is is four of my boys kind of all come in succession they're 17 15 13 and 11 <clears throat> and we all are involved in the same activity which is great because you know we're not having to like travel around to do different things for different kids we um we kind of all go together and that that's brazilian jujitsu uh and and for those of you who've known me for a long time um i've just sort of always you know whatever my kids are doing i want to be involved and so my oldest two were girls, and they were in ballet. So there was a, there were a number of years where we were like the ballet family. I mean, I, I started learning ballet at like age 38, and was in a lot of performances, um, paired with teenage girls, which is really kind of weird. Um, but it was it was a way that you know, for rehearsals, I was there hanging out with my daughters. My sons all pretty much learned to dance ballet too because they always needed male dancers. Um, and and then eventually, both girls moved on from ballet, and that's how we segued into choking people for fun. That's jujitsu. I always yes. like, I had to look that. Yeah.
0: So that okay. So let me, okay. So I'm going to ask you, cause I mean, you know, and I feel like poor JJ, every time I see him and ask for and you always end up bringing up his kids because I am just like, I mean, you might as well just take my mind and it just explodes. Like thinking of what your day today is like from someone who has never had any children. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that my mornings are probably a little bit different than your mornings. And like, what I just can't envision is like, is there a time where everyone in your house is actually sleeping? Like, do you sleep through the night?
1: Yes. So, um, yeah. So, you know, usually like weeknights, uh, we, we go to jujitsu, we come back, um, like everybody eats dinner part two and, you know, everyone showers and we all kind of hang out and we get the littlest ones to bed first. And then the older ones and I kind of hang out for a little bit and then we all decide, yeah, it's time to go to sleep. Uh, And, and then, you know, I used to start my day earlier, but now I I start my day at five and to have some quiet time, prayer time in the morning, you know, get the coffee going. Uh, Sometimes I wait for the little ones because they always like to help make breakfast. So I'll wait for them to come down and like get bowls out so they can stir stuff and we'll make pancakes or we'll make muffins or something like that and other times if it's nice and quiet i might go make something uh for breakfast so that once they get down they're all, all ready to to go and eat but yeah i mean it's it, our our house is i wouldn't call it chaos um it's certainly not controlled but it, it, it's somewhere in the middle you know it, it you just There's always going to be some kind of dark horse that hits us in the day, like where, oh man, someone's sick, or you know, you know, logistics is probably the toughest thing. Before you have a driver, you know, a child driver, you know, it's you, you know, Jennifer's my my wife, and and you know, she and I are trying to figure out how to do things. Then once you get a driver, you're nervous. But then within like three days, you're completely spoiled because <laughs> they want to drive and you're like, oh, yeah, take your siblings to to there or wherever. Um, you know, so but then that's that's yet another, you know, piece of the pie that you've got to you know plan for logistically. You know, they're they've got to be here because, you know, they're older, they've got a job or whatever they're doing. And, and you're still trying to coordinate everybody else at the same time. So I don't know, it's, I think having this many kids might be a good cure for like Alzheimer's because I don't think my brain can ever really stop, you know, firing um, unless I'm asleep.
0: Well, and I feel like just from knowing you that, you know, I, I'm just going to say, I feel like you have to have your type of disposition to be able to manage all of that because the logistics of it because I'm such a control freak, you know, and like you never know with nine kids what's gonna happen on a day-to-day basis. And figuring out those logistics would probably put me in a tizzy. But on the flip side, when I see pictures of JJ and his family and just like, you know, and then once you're because I mean, let's see, your wife probably has had several kids since I've met you, honestly. And so it's just really neat to watch the family grow. Is one of your is your oldest daughter married? or getting married. Okay. You know, so, um, just like seeing that is really cool. My dad is part of a big family. He was one of nine. My mom is one of five. So I've kind of just grown up around that big family and you guys are, are doing that. And I think that's really neat, but you know, I'm, I'm like, I think I even asked JJ, I'm like, okay. So like, does everybody like, where do people sleep? It's like a bed, Melissa. And I'm like, I just cannot imagine having that many beds in one house. It's great. Well, we,
1: and we've all, we've always been a big fan of sharing rooms. So, you know, and honestly, when you conveniently, you know, have like two girls first, they share a room and then, you know, a bunch of boys come like our three oldest boys share a room and we've you know, when a room comes open, we're like, hey, like our second oldest moves out or our oldest moves out. We're like, hey, you want to move into this room? And they're like, no, you know, and, and part of it too is in our house, rooms are for sleeping, essentially. So mm-hmm. they're usually not like crowded up hanging out in their room. They they go up there to sleep, they come down and, you know, go to other areas of the house to for activities and, uh, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I don't. I mean, they do. They sleep in beds, and um, most of them share rooms. Like our uh, our eleven year old, he doesn't have to share a room, but he chose the loft area, you know, at the top of the stairs as his room, uh, which means it's constantly a mess that he has to clean up. But you know, he doesn't mind the traffic that comes through there, so he gets to to sleep out there by himself.
0: So do you have a lot of siblings?
1: Um, I am one of four. um, And, but my mom's family's always been close, not necessarily geographically, but so I, I grew up at least seeing my cousins and like even second cousins and like all together, uh, you know, at least once or twice a year, you know, we, my half of my mom's family ended up in Canada. Uh, So we would go up there. And I don't know, something about that uh having a large family appealed to me. Now when I got married, large family, I thought having three or four kids was was kind of what I was thinking. Um I I have no answer for nine really other than we're just completely open to life and maybe we didn't want 10. I don't I don't know. I I, that's that's where we are now. I do hear of people though, who like have that miraculous pregnancy in their fifties. I'm, I, 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 don't have any comment on that one way or the other, except that it kind of scares me that that still would be a possibility.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, <clears throat> if I got pregnant now, it would change the entire trajectory yeah. of my life. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I get, it's a miracle, but you know, there's logistics about it. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. So your family is precious. And, um, I don't think, has your wife ever come to Aspen? She's ever been able to come because she's, you know, you, you got mouse to feed and stuff.
1: <laughs> once, once. And I to oh, okay. say, um, it was like, Oh, four. Okay. So you know, And, um, we, we stopped, we had some friends in Maryland at the time. And so we, we actually made kind of a, a like a week long trip out of it, went to see them. We get to the hotel for the ASPA annual and um, we get a call like, oh, you know what? Um, One of our kids just came down with a stomach bug uh, and we're like, oh, crap. Like, so like we're all at the hotel. This is back at the the, what we call the Hinkley Hilton, um, not the best hotel in the world, uh, like as far as the rooms go. Well, there was a buka de Beppo across the street And I, I take like the kind of the stomach bug hit my wife like immediately, and so I take the kids over there to eat. And my daughter, who was, gosh, she must have been maybe three at the time. So this this is like we only had, I think, four of us, maybe maybe only three kids with us, Um, and. We like ordered drinks. She took a sip of her Sprite and went everywhere. And I was like, okay, kids, we're out of here. We're going (laughs) to order in. (laughs) But we like apologized profusely, you know, helped clean up and got out of there. But needless to say, my family stayed in the hotel room for gosh, like the whole time. And so I was, and I don't know, did you ever go to that? Hotel? No, I've only been to the Gaylord. Okay. So the conference was down in the basement. You had to take like two different sets of Mm -hmm. elevators to get back up or or an escalator, an elevator. And so every break between sessions, I was like going back up to the room, checking on everybody, you know, bringing drinks and stuff like that and food and then running back down to the conference. Um, So yeah, that experience, I think, scarred her a little bit. She hasn't been uh, but now, now that I'm the, the vice president of ASPA, she'll probably have to come at least next year. Or I feel like she has to, to make find, an appearance. Yeah. She, like she people want to a meet a your
0: boyfriend. wife, you know, yeah. she's, she's, I mean, she's kind of infamous for somebody that carried, you know, eight children. <laughs> yes. Like yeah. that's, you know, as a woman, I'm like, wow, that's like your take eight multiply it times nine. That's how many months, you know, roughly yeah. <laughs> months you've been pregnant in your life. That's a long time. So, yeah. So she seems, you know, also equally as amazing
1: if not more than more, more, <laughs> more, amazing for sure.
0: Okay. So let's kind of talk about, you know, you are an ordained deacon in the Roman Catholic church. I do not recall
1: when that happened.
0: Can you talk, walk us through that? And what was your kind of like thought press
1: process? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it it's a call, you know, you, you know, in your prayer time, you, you might be getting inklings of something Uh, and for years it was it was just one of these things that kind of hit me and I didn't really think of it as a call and uh, a priest uh, our pastor uh, who has since passed away um, he just approached me after after mass one day and he was like you know he was this Polish guy he's like JJ you you should consider being a, a deacon and I was like, I don't know if that might that might be the 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 hit right there because it kind of always been, you know, on my mind. Well, uh, that was like 2015, and um, started seeing these things in the bulletin about a meeting. And so I was like, okay, to go to the meeting. Uh, and then I, you know, at the meeting that told us the steps and everything. And so the the application process was a year long process, basically. I mean, it was insane. Just like we were actually doing the application for adoption at the same time. And I don't know which one was more invasive, but they were both you know, pretty equally um, invasive in terms of the things that they wanted you to do. And and uh. You know, like background checks and letters of reference and you know all that stuff and um it's so like okay you know and I I was uh, you know going to a spiritual director at the time and you know I was like you know this is a little overwhelming um but I do feel like I'm being called to something here and so he was like listen just you know every time God opens a door just walk through it but you got to pay attention because if God closes the door, just stop, you know, just just stop. I was like, okay, that's, that's easy. I can, I can do stuff. And if I get, you know, rejected, then great. You know, I I just stop. And so got through the application process um, and thought, you know, probably not going to go for me because I've got young children. I've got a lot of them uh, and, you know, you're expected as as a deacon, unless you're retired from work, that you're probably going to have work. You're going to have family, and your family and work come first. Uh, and so, you know, submitted the application. Um, I mean, there was a psychological evaluation, all you know, all this stuff. Oh wow! And um, so then was notified. Uh, the spring of 2017 that I would be joining a class that started September of 2017. And uh, so that's when the program started. Our program um, in the Diocese of Savannah, Georgia uh, is is uh, run through a school down in Florida called St. Leo University. And not all programs are like this, and not all programs are, are the same like the Archdiocese of Atlanta, uh, their program is about the same length, but it's all run in-house, you know, so they're in, and they're, you know, they've probably got the resources to do that, whereas, you know, our, our diocese is smaller population-wise, and um, so having professors come up from the school, so we would meet at the geographic center of the diocese once a month, uh, and then, of course, between classes, we're doing papers and reading and all that stuff. Um, and so, I, I do have a, a a master's in theology. Okay. At uh, as part of this program, which is kind of cool because, again, not all programs are going through accredited universities. And um, so, we finished the coursework in uh august of 21 and then started practicum and, and practicum is just kind of practical application of what you'd be doing so as deacons you know, we can baptize we can marry we can preside over funerals uh and you know then we we also assist at the mass uh I have a lot of people call me father after mass, but it, I'm not. I'm just a deacon. Um and uh and and so we we assist at the mass, we get to preach, proclaim the gospel. Um so if you're you know if you're Catholic, you pay attention at Mass, uh, you'll often see that somebody else vested in um in the mass is proclaiming the gospel, and every once in a while that that same person will give the homily and they're typically standing back to the right of the priest Mm -hmm. during the consecration during the the liturgy of the eucharist and um and they're you know basically they're assisting and you know one thing that's really probably my one of my favorite parts of the mass is that the the deacon's role in, in the mass is the chalice and you know puts the the wine in the chalice and and adds adds the water and you know says says a really awesome prayer while doing that, which no one can hear. It's kind of a silent prayer. And, and, and it's just, you know, by the mystery of this water and wine, you know, may we come to share in Christ's divinity who humbled himself to share in our humanity. And that's the prayer that the deacon is saying as he's pouring the, the wine into the chalice and, and the, the holy water. Um, and so I don't know. It, it's I don't know. I don't want to go into the the all the little pieces of the liturgy. But yeah. so that's that's part of the role that the, the deacon plays. And I was ordained in May uh, of this year uh, of twenty two. Uh, with with my class, which was there were eleven of us, and then we were uh, we were ordained with a transitional deacon. I'm I'm a part of the permanent deaconate. A transitional deacon is someone who's on their way to become a priest, and they they are ordained as a deacon, uh, generally for a year. So he was ordained with us, and it's it's kind of funny because you're you know you're taking vows, and, and those vows are. You know related to like I effectively really report to the bishop um, right. so I'm taking vows to to um, you know be obedient to the bishop um, uh, but you know day to day I'm really answering to the pastor at, at our parish um, but uh, there is one vow that the non-permanent deacon makes to celibacy and so you know the bishop when he's about to to go for this vow he's like okay you guys over here you need to shut up or else you know your wives are either going to be mad or happy i don't know but (laughs) um so just you mr you know on your way to the priesthood you make the vow of celibacy so that um that was one thing they were like don't don't make this vow you shut your mouth yep
0: JJ, don't talk. Okay. So I have a couple of questions about this, which is a little, um, probably a little embarrassing. My mom would probably be like, you know, you've been Catholic your whole life, but I don't know all the processes. Right. So, okay. So we have, you know, um, I'd say not all of our churches, Lainey, have a deacon, but a decent mm-hmm. amount do um, our Catholic churches. And I've always been wondering or been curious, like sometimes the deacon gives the homily, like says the gospel, reads the gospel and gives the homily. And sometimes he only reads the gospel. And so I'm like, is that just an option that the pastor is like, it's the pastor who makes that decision? Is it the church? Does it like, I was just, you know, just somebody say, hey, JJ, today, I want you to go ahead and give this homily, by the way. So yeah. i was wondering like how that, how is that decided?
1: Well, we, We schedule. So our our parish um, has five deacons and the way we we run the schedule is we each serve rotating weekends. So we have three masses. So like this weekend coming up, I'll serve Saturday, uh, the vigil mass and then at our two masses on Sunday. And um, we we kind of put a rotation on the preaching schedule. Well, Um, our pastor is not only a very gifted preacher, but he likes to preach. So um, it's not, you know, he'll, he'll preach most Sundays. Um, Like this coming weekend, I'm not going to preach. But um, like last cycle, I had two, you know, two rounds where I got to preach for the whole weekend. So it's really, it's, you know, it's less of an authoritative thing i mean i i have you know talked to deacons who yeah. were at parishes where the priest just didn't want to have the deacon preach and yeah
0: okay so do you think that's because the priest thinks he's a better preacher than the deacon
1: uh probably um and you know sometimes you know we're not good preachers right uh, you know but you Know when we were going through our what we call homiletics course, the priest who was was giving the course was like, you know, sometimes there, there are things like feast of the holy family. Like I as a priest don't need to be preaching on the feast of the holy family. Like I don't have kids, I don't have a wife. When I go home, I like kick up my feet. You know, grab a beer or whatever. And I get to relax Mm -hmm. when, you know, you go home from work, you know, you've got a whole other job you're about to take on as the father of a family. So, you know, for very practical reasons, and, and something that that's funny about the, you know, the media and maybe some people inside the Catholic church where they talk about, you know, we, we really need married priests and, you know, we've had an answer to that. I mean, we've got married clergy. I'm, I'm actually clergy. I'm a married ordained uh, minister. And, and as a married ordained minister, my, you know, my priority is my family first, my work to provide for my family and then the diaconate. And, um, You know, there have been deacons who had their faculties pulled because they were doing too much, you know, for the church. They just wouldn't say no. So Mm -hmm. their family was suffering and their work might have even been suffering. Um, And and so if you imagine like, you know, I think it's, you know, you think, well, you know, there's other Christian denominations and they're pastors are married and stuff like that. But um, you know, the priest really is married to the church. Mm-hmm. And uh and that is their priority. So I mean, can you imagine, you know, as a spouse being an absolute second? You know, that's that's tough. I mean, I don't know how many marriages would survive that. And and then you know, I can't imagine like a Divorced priests? Do do they date? Do they go on apps? You know, like that. (laughs) In fact, I, I, um, and they could give a dispensation for this. But if my my wife, if Jennifer died before me, I'm actually not allowed to get married again. I would have to get special permission um and and when I say they would give dispensation possibly like if I still had young children there's there's a good chance that they might say yeah mm-hmm. you could get married again um but like going into it that was my wife's main concern which uh, uh that was the other thing throughout the entire process she could have pulled the plug at any time the diocese could have pulled the plug at any time uh and, and so this kind of goes back to that original advice from my spiritual director just you know keep walking through the door mm-hmm. when god opens it um and the door kept opening and uh but my wife's first concern when we were going through all the material and everything she's like okay so wait if i die before you you can't get remarried i was like i'm i'm not concerned about that i'm like there's we got all these kids i i, I what am i going to do like start dating like no no I mean unless like a spouse dropped in my lap you know without any effort whatsoever uh that's probably the only time it would make sense and so it's funny that that was her main concern was that I couldn't get married again if she were to to precede me in in death but but yeah I mean that's that's you know one of the commitments we make
0: yeah so um I mean, I had a question at. Oh, yeah, this is other question. So, anyone that is going through the process of becoming a priest, they have to be. They are always ordained as a deacon, a transitional deacon for a year. Yes. Did you know that, lady? I don't know if I did. Lady's pretty involved in the in speaking of it, but she is. She's pretty involved. But I was just okay. I didn't. I don't know if I realized well, that.
1: Have you? Uh, and, and a lot of people don't go to ordination masses. I mean, they they are. Um, I mean, I think ours was two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. uh, um, but have you ever been to an ordination? No. I mean, it, you should, it, it's beautiful. It, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, you know, pray for your priests, pray for your seminarians. Uh, but it, it's, it is a, it, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I almost wish I could have been there just to. To watch our ordination, um, to be able to to see these guys that have gone through this you know five year program with just kind of watch each of them, and uh, but but it's cool. Like we're we're probably all going to get together and go um, to uh, the the transitional deacon Lewis when he gets ordained this coming May or June. <clears throat> we'll we'll probably all be there. But there's this point in the mass where it's it's like this, I can't even remember what they call it. it. It's not like the kiss of peace, but something like that, where like every priest and deacon in the diocese who was able to make it is there. And they they come through and kind of, kind of greet you as part of the, you know, part of the clergy, part of the brotherhood, so to speak. Um and uh, I don't know, it's, it's really cool. There's, there's, there's a lot of different phases. Uh, you know, if you go into the acts of the apostles um, there's, you know, they talk about laying of hands. So, you know, at the, the bishop is the descendant of the apostles. So when, you know, during the ordination, he like, you know, has to put his hands on us to, to, you know, give us this blessing. And, um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's, but like, you know, there's great traditions in the Catholic church. And I think, you know, people think it's too ritualistic. But when you look at the history and, and how we're actually connected to our, um, you know, Jewish brothers and sisters out there, you know, there's there's a lot that passes down from, from even those traditions into, you know, the Catholic mass and, and our traditions.
0: Yeah. I mean, as someone who was raised Catholic and I went to a Catholic grade school all the way up through high school, um, there's something comforting to me about the rituals of Catholicism mm-hmm. that, and I'm not sure if that's because that's what I was, how I was raised, but it's, it's comforting. I don't know how else to put that, you know? Yeah. So um, I just thought that was really interesting. So JJ and I did go to church at ASFA annual and I like, if he wouldn't have asked me, I don't know if I would have like ventured out and even explored that while I was out of town. And so that was a really neat experience too. So um, JJ, I want to respect your time just to let our JJ. listeners know jj recorded yeah. another podcast right before this yeah. so one uh, um we always ask our listen, our excuse me our guests uh for advice to our listeners and i think that this is probably one of did you read it mm. i think this is amazing we need to like you know hang it up on our walls but you know, jj's like i don't do you know what you said jj do you remember <laughs> i i i don't <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do this, the guest is like, what is she about? To yeah. know? I'm just about to read. Yeah, what you yeah. put, right. So it says, have a dream, pursue it. Don't just peruse it. Yeah, And that is great advice. Great yes. advice.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know, try to live by that if you can, because um, I think people do get, you know, they get these dreams in their head and they think, ah, you know, it, it's fun to think about, but they don't actually pursue it. And um and that that's just a reality. We you know, you know engage in life, pursue yeah. your dreams. Yeah. yeah,
0: I love it. So thank you so much, JJ, for being here and talking about you and yeah. your 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 life. Uh, that was really interesting um, about being ordained a deacon, Lainey. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Did you have any questions? Because I just like to go over that podcast. I don't, but I enjoyed listening to everything you had to say. I also think this was one of the most entertaining questionnaires i liked his response to his favorite food you should read oh list. yes a favorite food he said there are so many but a well-crafted chili relay oh, Rihanna. Rihanna, Rihanna, Rihanna. Rihanna.
1: yeah
0: yeah makes me smile
1: <laughs> yes i just
0: like how you said that yeah oh jj is a very interesting person for sure and he does definitely um you Know, uh, I was gonna say draw attention, but that's not what I mean. Like, people like to be around JJ because he is very interesting. So. I know, I knew he would be interesting when he said that the three interesting facts about himself are that he has nine kids, he's a deacon, and he does Brazilian jiu jitsu. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what a combination! Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Very interesting. So JJ, really appreciate you being here um, as an honorary Louisiana lad on our little podcast. And um, to all our listeners, we are wrapping up towards the end of the year. Yikes. (laughs) Don't know if I'm ready for that. And uh, yeah, JJ, I will probably won't see you again till October of next year.
1: Well, um, we're looking forward to it and we'll, we'll go to mass again. So
0: yes, definitely. Well, now it's a tradition. We did it once. We have to do it every time. So um, anyway, JJ, thanks so much. I hope you and your family have great holidays and a great Christmas and uh, we will talk soon.
1: All right. You too.